So this is the story of a song. This book tells the story of how We Shall Overcome became, according to the National Archives, the most powerful song of the 20th century. The story also tells us how race has been used to divide people and how this song helped them stay strong and be resilient. Now, race, again, is a group of people who might share things like skin color, history, language, and culture. There are many different races of people, and people can be more than one race. So no single day marks the birth of the song, We Shall Overcome. No single person is its author. No single performance was the first. Rather, We Shall Overcome is the product of many voices singing similar songs over many years in many places. As the songs pass from one person to another, the words and melodies change, but the message of hope and determination stay the same. Here are some of the notable milestones in the life of this song. In the early 1800s, African Americans, enslaved and free, sang spirituals or religious songs in their worship services, at work, and at home. One such song is, I'll Be All Right. In 1865, slavery in the United States comes to, the, to an end, but African Americans are not truly free. In the year 1900 or thereabouts, a pastor named Charles Albert Tindley, the son of former slaves, uh, is a well-known pastor of a large African American church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Charles Albert Tindley writes, I'll overcome someday. The song becomes popular in black churches around the country. Later, some African Americans in southern churches sing a song they call, I will overcome. But the words are different, and the music is different than Reverend Tindley's song. In the 1940s, workers protest poor pay and conditions at a white-owned tobacco factory in Charleston, South Carolina. Black women workers march and sing the song they know from church, I Will Overcome. But instead of singing, I Will Overcome, they sing, We Will Overcome. Some workers attend the Highlander Folk School in Tennessee where they share the song, We Will Overcome. Now, the Highlander Center is a school for adults. It still exists today. Uh, school for adults, blacks and whites, working for fairness for all workers and all people. Unitarian Universalist folk singer Pete Seeger learns We Will Overcome at the Highlander Center School. Pete Seeger and Septima Clark, a teacher at the Highlander Center, change We Will Overcome to We Shall Overcome. That's Pete with the, uh, the banjo there. 
In 1957, at a party where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is a guest of honor, Pete Seeger sings, We Shall Overcome for him for the first time. Now, Dr. King was, of course, an important leader of the civil rights movement, people working for equal rights for all citizens, no matter their skin color. In the early 1960s, folk singer Guy Carawan shares, We Shall Overcome with civil rights activists across the country, many of them students. Activists conduct sit-ins at restaurants that deny them service simply because they are black. They take freedom rides to challenge race discrimination on buses and in bus stations. During many of these events, the participants are harassed, beaten, and put in jail. Through their ordeals, they sing, We Shall Overcome. The song becomes the anthem of the civil rights movement. In 1962, the Freedom Singers formed their performances of We Shall Overcome and other songs spread the word about and also raise money for the civil rights movement. So thankfully, the story of our song doesn't end in 1962. In fact, in 1963, on August 28th, people, people came to the nation's capital for the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. The marchers, hundreds of thousands of marchers, sing, we shall overcome when they gather at the Lincoln Memorial. This is when Dr. King gives his famous I have a dream speech. In 1964, Congress and the President adopt the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which makes it illegal to discriminate against people based on the color of their skin in public facilities, such as restaurants, hotels, and stores, schools, and workplaces. On March 7, 1965, 500 people marched from Selma toward Montgomery, Alabama to protest the ways white officials in that state prevent black citizens from exercising their right to vote. Soon after the marchers set out, Alabama police attacked them with clubs, whips, and tear gas. Many marchers are injured and the day becomes known as Bloody Sunday. A week later, President Lyndon B. Johnson gives a speech, we must overcome the crippling legacy of bigotry and injustice, and we shall overcome. President Johnson's speech is followed by the passage of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, a strong law that tries to guarantee African Americans the right to vote in elections. In 1967, young East Germans begin singing, We Shall Overcome, at meetings and rallies to protest the absence of freedom in their communist community. More than 20 years later, a democratic government is established there. In the 1970s, We Shall Overcome was adopted by black South Africans and continues to be their freedom song as they struggle against apartheid. 
the system of harsh anti-black laws and customs created by the all-white government. Decades later, the people of South Africa elect a government of black and white lawmakers, and apartheid is abandoned. During the 1971 Bangladesh War for Independence from Pakistan, the Calcutta Youth Choir records a version of We Shall Overcome, which becomes one of the best-selling Bengali language records ever. In 1986, thousands begin to demonstrate in cities in South Korea to protest the country's rule by military officials. The marchers sing, we shall overcome. The following year, South Korea begins its transition to a government of democratically elected leaders. In 1989, people in Czechoslovakia sing, we shall overcome, in widespread protests that peacefully toppled the communist government, leading to the establishment of a more democratic government in what is now the Czech Republic. On September 23, 2001, 30,000 people gathered in Yankee Stadium in New York City to remember the victims of the September 11th terrorist attacks. Led by the Harlem Boys and Girls Choir, they join hands and sing, We Shall Overcome. And in 2008, on November 4th, Barack Obama is elected the first African-American president of the United States. For many, the election and inauguration of the nation's first black president was an occasion to reflect on how much African-Americans have overcome since the days of slavery and to sing the anthem of the long struggle for equal rights, we shall overcome. And the song, of course, continues its history in our hearts and minds and anywhere there is injustice to be overcome. So this morning we are ending our month-long exploration into the idea of resilience, spiritual, personal, social resilience, with a celebration of music as a vehicle to inspire strength and action despite those outside pressures to remain fearful and passive in the face of adversity. Now music, of course, has always been important to me personally. Playing recorder and trumpet throughout school and learning some guitar in college and writing and performing original music throughout Boston as a young person and connecting with the music of justice movements from our history. Always drawn for some reason to the music of the American South, the sounds of slavery and poverty and oppression helped create the art of ragtime and blues and country and rock and roll and jazz. The pain of injustice has always been a prominent generative force in art, all art. And most good music contains at least a small response or acknowledgement of this pain.
from slaves communicating to one another about escape attempts through songs disguised as biblical spirituals to Nina Simone cursing the whole of the state of Mississippi and its racist treatment of African Americans, to Bob Dylan's successful appeal to retry Reuben Hurricane Carter, who had been wrongfully convicted in a racially motivated murder trial. Music has indeed been a powerful tool in fighting oppression and giving individuals and movements the strength to continue. I think, of course, of uh, Woody Guthrie's guitar. Do you remember what it says on Woody Guthrie's guitar? This machine kills fascists. This machine kills fascists. <laughs> so we, we Shall Overcome, the song that we've explored a little bit this morning, is listed by the National Archives as the most powerful song of the 20th century being used by and supporting each major social movement of the past 100 years here and around the world, but uh, especially here around workers' rights, civil rights, the LGBTQ movement, and immigration rights. I personally sang it around the Wisconsin State Capitol in the collective bargaining protests of 2011. We've sung it at recent women's and environmental justice marches. We've sung it at vigils for the victims of senseless religious violence. And it always seems to comfort, it always seems to inspire, it always seems to embolden. Something about the cadence and the determination of the lyrics coupled with the history of those who have sung it before, including our own dear Pete Seeger makes it a very powerful piece and an appropriate one to feature during our month of resilience. So let me ask you, what, what parts of the history of this song surprised you? Just shout it out, and I'll try and repeat it from the microphone. Anything surprise you about the song? That it was so recent. I assumed it was much older. That it was so recent. And again, we can trace some of the threads back to the mid-1800s, mid-19th century, but again, as we know it, it really didn't exist uh, before 1900, so yeah, it's a relatively recent song. Anything that, else? That it went worldwide. That it went worldwide and was translated into a bunch of languages, and I think that's great. Anything else surprise you about? Diversity of contributors. The diversity of the contributors. Yes, there's a great story um, about Pete Seeger, who, who had recognized that um, a lot of black and white authored folk music was being purchased uh, and copyrighted by uh, large, large firms that were in the music business and trying to buy up copyrights. So he went ahead and proactively bought up a bunch of copyrights to these songs that he had access to. And in his later life, he admitted that it was a mistake, and he removed his name from those copyrights uh, much later. But We Shall Overcome is an example of one of those that he was actually able to protect from corporate ownership through being able to proactively uh, copyright it, and then, of course, forgive the copyright uh, years later. But without people like the diverse collection at the Highlander Center, 
this song would not probably be what it is. Who here remembers the first time they heard this song? John? Well, I was thinking about seeing um, Seeger and um, Les Paul do it in front of the theater celebrating Les Paul's maybe something's birthday. They sang it together and had everyone join in. It was kind of moving. That's fantastic. For those didn't hear, John heard uh, Pete Seeger and Les Paul, who's the Milwaukee native and inventor of the electric guitar, uh, sing it for one of uh, one of Les Paul's birthdays. It's fantastic. Anyone else remember a time? Yeah, Gail. I'm thinking that I probably heard the first time that Olympia Brown Church about 85. So heard it through Olympia Brown Unitarian Universalist Church and was singing. Fantastic. So our Unitarian Universalist faith teaches us to respect all beings and that everyone is important. That means we want to help make the world fairer in small ways and big ways. And this morning, many of us are wearing buttons and pins that say things like Black Lives Matter. And that simply means that the people in this church know that people who have black or brown skin need to be treated more fairly, and we want to help that. By learning, by sharing, by speaking, by singing together, we might continue the work, continue the struggle, ever resilient in our faith, which impels us to live the lives of compassion, justice, and love.
you're not afraid today. Ah. Uh...